Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. My message this morning, I believe, is for everyone in this room. I believe no matter where you are, no matter what part of your spiritual journey or discipleship journey you are in, I believe it is for you. And uh, if you are new to Christianity, if you're new to Christ, I believe this message is for you. If you've been coming to church for a number of years and maybe even decades, I still believe that this message is for you. Why? Because this message is, is taken from the Word of God and we know the Word of God to be live and active. The Word of God is live and active. It's not just a book. It is actually a mirror it describes itself as to reveal ourselves and also show us who God is. It transforms us through allowing us to understand and know who God is and who He has called us to be and how we can get there. And so I believe that as we share the Word this morning, that it will transform each and every single one of us. But I'm going to do it in a bit of a different way. I'm going to tackle a bit of a different topic this morning, all right? So the, the title of my message this morning is called Teachings from a Traitor. Everyone say teachings. Everyone say from a traitor. Awesome. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come and be in Your presence this morning. God, I just ask that I would step back and you would step forward, that you would take center stage in the midst, amongst of everything, that transformation would be a result of your word being shared into our lives, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your presence would not only be present here, but in our life, and that as a result, that we would all learn something new about you, Lord Jesus, and that as a result, we would leave this place changed in your precious and mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Man, board games are brutal. I saw a couple of heads turn to look at a couple of people there. That was, you start to look at some people in your family, you're like, yeah, he's talking about you. Ball games are brutal. I feel like they reveal what's on the inside a lot of the time. You ever played a board game with someone and you just see a different version of them? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you sit down, maybe you play Monopoly, maybe you play Uno, maybe, maybe you like, you know, Settlers of Catan out there, any of those fans. It's a very niche game, but it's a great game. You should go and play it, you know. Shout out to me. But, but whatever board game you play, I find often it's a revealer of what happens inside, right? And you're like, man, this person is awesome. They're great friends of mine. And you get to sit down, you play a board game with them. And then all of a sudden they just start yelling at you and making bold claims that you are cheating and they are not. When in fact they're cheating and you're not. Board games are a great revealer. They're brutal though. You have been playing a board game and maybe you formed a, a somewhat unspoken alliance with someone. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, you know, in, in this game, Settlers of Catan, it's a great board game. Uh, but essentially, the, the concept is, is you try and trade with people like resources that you have. And so there's a lot of negotiation that goes on, right? Like you negotiate, you go, cool, like there's like timber in the game and then there's that you can trade sheep. And so you're like, I'll give you two timber for one sheep, you know? And they're like, no, they're like, I want three timber for one sheep. And you become argumentative over the silliest things. But you argue, but, but there's a lot of back and forth and you think you form this alliance where you're like, man, we're working together on this. And then all of a sudden, they betray you. <laughs> ever, everyone ever been betrayed in a board game? Yeah. And there's those, there's those people that do it all the time, right? And you just know, you know in your soul, you sit down and you're like, not this time. And they still get you. Yeah, betray. And you're like, Judas. 
Or maybe you watch your favorite TV show and, you know, uh, you, you, you're building up in this moment, maybe watching Survivor, you know, and you've been, you're, in, you're in there, you're like, man, I wonder what's going to happen at Tribal Council. I wonder what's going to go on. What's been going on? I've seen the behind it, but what's the vote going to be? And we have that moment where the votes are being pulled out and it's being read. And all of a sudden there's this betrayal that happens. And all of a sudden the alliance is broken and the twist has happened and it's great TV. <laughs> and we come back every single week for it. But all of these moments, right, are known as betrayal moments. And maybe you found yourself saying something along the lines of this that I often do when I feel someone betrays me in a board game. I say, Judas, get behind me. <laughs> Judas, get behind me. And what am I referring to? I'm actually referring, when I say that, I'm referring to a betrayal that took place about 2,000 years ago with a man by the name of Judas. And you might be wondering, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, you know who I'm talking about, but you might be here and you have no idea who I'm talking about. And so I'd love to provide some context this morning as we look into the life of Judas and discover what lessons we can learn from this traitor. See, Judas uh, was actually a common name in uh, Bible times, right? It's not just the one. In fact, in the Bible, you will read of multiple Judases. So just don't get confused, right? Imagine being that guy. <laughs> Imagine being the guy that shares the same name as the traitor, right? Like, and there's multiple Judases in the Bible. There's actually one Judas that's literally known as Judas in brackets, not the betrayer. <laughs> you know you're winning. <laughs> there's multiple Judases in the Bible and this name actually means to be celebrated. So the name Judas, right, actually means to be celebrated in those times. And so it was a very common name and it was, it was, you can actually see multiple people with the name Judas in the Bible. But the Judas that we're talking about this morning is actually Judas Iscariot. Iscariot, right? That is how he's referred to, or sometimes he's referred to in the Bible as Judas the betrayer, right? Not, not the betrayer, the betrayer. It gets a little bit confusing sometimes, but Judas Iscariot. And Judas was born in uh, Kirioth, which is a town just south, uh, southern of Judah. And uh, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. Jesus went and called 12 people to follow him closely, to train, to disciple, and they would then become the apostles, uh, the apostles of the early church, all except one being Judas. And the thing about Judas you need to know is because of where he was born, fun fact, he was actually the only non-Galilean person in the group that Jesus called. It was Jesus who was from Galilee and all the other 11 disciples were all from Galilee except for Judas. Judas was the only one. And what his role within the group that we read in the Scriptures is that they call him the treasurer. In other words, he was responsible to manage the finances as they traveled from place to place and use the finances, whether that's purchasing things or, or, or blessing people or ministering to the poor. That was his role. And that's the person we are talking about today. See, Judas lived, traveled and ministered with Jesus for three years. He saw miracles, signs and wonders and prayers answered continuously. And yet we read that Judas decided to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What took place is right before the crucifixion of Jesus. You can go read it in the Gospels, but Judas makes this decision where he will betray Jesus. So he goes to the Pharisees and he says, how much will you give me for me to hand Jesus over to you? And they said 30 pieces of silver, which by the way, the context of that, there's a couple of step context. It was equivalent to about what the Bible calls 120 denarii, right? Which a denarii was used when it came to uh, physical labor. It would be one denarii would be one day wage labor. So if you went and you completed a job for someone and there was a labor, what you would get paid at the end of the day is one denarii. And so we're looking at 120 days wage for betrayal of Jesus. 
120 days wage for the betrayal of Jesus. And we see that he hands Jesus over to the Pharisees. And ultimately we know that Jesus ends up being crucified at the hands of the Pharisees and the declaration. And so we see this betrayal take place. Someone who was so close, someone who was so close to Jesus for three years of ministering with Him, seeing prayers answered, being in the thick of it. And all of a sudden there is a betrayal that happens. And so my question is, what lessons can we learn from this traitor? Because if we're not careful, we will read the Scriptures and we'll only identify with the hero of the story. We'll only identify with the hero of the story. We'll only identify with the Peter who has restoration and speaks up in front of 3,000 people. And all, sorry, more than that, but then 3,000 people get saved on that day. We'll be like, yeah, that's great. I want to learn from that. But really, everything in the Scripture is put there for our benefit so that we can learn from it and we can apply something in our life. And so the question this morning is, what can we learn from Judas? It's a bit of a weird way to tackle it, right? What can you learn from a traitor? Dan, are you calling us all traitors? Wait and see. No. But today I want to pull four lessons that we can learn from the life of Judas. And I truly do believe that if we were to look at these and apply these four lessons to our lives and make sure we adopted the understanding that comes with it, I truly do believe that our life would reflect Jesus more and our lives would be transformed by His power more. We do not want to live a life that has a Judas spirit attached to it. So we have to look at his life to know how he lived. And the first lesson we see is this. Number one, Judas saw transformation as unnecessary. Judas saw transformation as unnecessary. If you've got your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 70 to 71. It's just two verses. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, maybe you've got the NIV or you're really rocking old school, you know, New King James Version at the moment. Um, I'm not going to be saying these and thous, but read along with me. It's going to be great. And it's also going to be on the screens. Now, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry journey with the 12 disciples. And Jesus says this, Then Jesus said, I, choose the tw I chose the 12 of you, but one is the devil. Wow, Jesus. Talk about a mood killer. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12, who, had, who would later betray him. Interesting that Jesus declares it right at the beginning of the ministry and yet at the end we see it actually come true. In other words, that there was an opportunity in the midst of the beginning and the end for change to happen. Because if Jesus knew what was going to happen, why would He invite Judas to be a part of His 12? Why would He spend three years outpouring into Him going, hey, come and follow me and learn from me. Be a part of what we're doing. Celebrate with us. Why would He do that if He knew He was going to betray Him? Because Jesus' number one priority in your and my life and in Judah's life was transformation. Jesus' number one priority in our lives is always for transformation to take place. See, Jesus wants to take us and transform our spirit. He wants to transform our attitude. He wants to transform our opinions into more like His. That's the whole point of the gospel, right? The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus came because we couldn't do it by ourselves, and we need to be redeemed and restored and transformed into more of who Jesus is. That's the whole point. And yet Judas, at the very beginning, there was declared that this is who it would be. And then at the end, he was still the same. Why? Because he saw transformation as unnecessary. What Judas teaches us is that you can be around Jesus and never change. What I mean by that, you can be at church and never change. 
You can be involved in a connect group. You can be serving. You can be doing all these things and never change. But the thing we need to realise is that Jesus is dedicated and devoted to our transformation, which means that His goal isn't to be around you. His goal is to transform you, which means there is a change that needs to happen within you and around you. I think often we can actually be hesitant towards transformation and change because we think we know the cost attached to it. But my question is, instead of looking at the cost attached to it, are you looking at the reward attached to it? Because the reward is to be transformed into who God has called you to be. The anointing, the empowerment, and, and the blessing that comes with stepping into the call of God on your life. But it needs a transformation. You can be around Jesus. But that doesn't mean you're letting Him change you. Jesus will always provide the opportunity for transformation. But we always have to choose to engage with it. I describe it this way a lot of the time. Jesus is the perfect gentleman. He'll provide you the opportunity, but never force it on you. He'll give you the opportunity to engage with Him, but He'll never make you. Why? Because free will exists and He cares about your decision. The question, are we choosing transformation or are we just being around Jesus? What does it look like for us? You know, part of my life and my story, I've shared it a couple of times and part of my journey at the beginning of this year, I just decided, you know what, it's time to actually get my physical health back on track. I'd uh, gone, gained a, a significant amount of weight and uh, for me just went, you know what, I need to hit this on the head. And so as a result, started a journey. I'm still on that journey and have been working really hard at it to lose weight and get healthy and fit again because I understand the importance of it. And for a season and time in my life there, I did not uh, prioritize the importance. And as a result, I paid the cost of it and I became unhealthy. And so this year has been one where I've dedicated towards that. But see, there's a transformation that I wanted to take place in my body. But there's two things I had to do. I had to change my input and I had to change my output. Whenever there's transformation that needs to take place, you have to change your input and you have to change your output. Here's the crazy thing. My input got more specific and my output got got greater. But when often we're thinking about change and transformation, we want our input to increase and we want our output to decrease. But that's not what the Bible teaches us and that's not what the universe and the laws that God wrote into the universe teaches us, right? He actually wrote laws into the universe that we can see that what takes place is not about having more in, it's about having more intentionality in your input. And then it's about having a greater level of output. Why? Because it always builds muscle. And so my transformation is, is determined by my input and my output. I can say, hey, I want to have a transformation. I want to be, I could go stand next to the gym. I could go stand in the gym. I could go with people to the gym. I can talk about the gym. But unless I do something about it, there will never be any transformation. There will never be any transformation. If we're not careful, church, if we're not careful, hear me. We'll come to church. We'll go to connect group. We'll serve. Week in and week out, but we'll never let Jesus change us. Let's not adopt the Judas spirit. And not because you're a betrayer, but because maybe we just need to adopt transformation more into our life and allow Jesus to change us. When He's going, hey, this thing right here, this is the thing I'm putting my finger on. This is the thing I want to address in your life. Let's not run away, but rather let's accept it and allow Him to change and transform. Why? Because He can be trusted. He can be trusted. Be willing to allow Jesus to transform your life. What is God asking you to change? The second lesson we learn from Judas is this, is that Judas saw worship as wasteful. Judas saw worship as wasteful. We're gonna read a, a couple of verses here. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 12, verse one to eight. 
This is a, a lot of you would know this story, but I'm going to break it down a little bit further. It says this, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. It's a crazy story. You should go read about it. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour and Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. By the way, how crazy is that? In like two verses, it describes that Jesus rose someone from the dead and he's just there chilling at the dinner table with everyone. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar, uh, ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, will not always have me. What Judas saw as a waste, Jesus defined as worship. Let me say it again. What Judas saw as a waste, Jesus defined as worship. What you need to understand is that this jar that was filled with perfume, right? It says it right, it says it right there. It was about year, worth about a year's wages, right? Now picture your year's worth of wage. That is how much what is going on. That's how much value is in this jar. And she decides what she's going to do is pour it out on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. And Judas's first thought is you should have sold that so we could give it to the poor. Interesting that a good thing doesn't necessarily mean it's a God thing. Interesting that Jesus rebukes Jesus. Uh, sorry, Jesus rebukes Judas. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Jesus rebukes Judas and he says, no, 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 you're in the wrong right now. Can we just stop and think about that for a second? Imagine if we went, hey, we've got all this, we want to give it to the poor. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to give it to me. What would happen in our internal? How would we wrestle with that? Would we see it as a waste or would we see it as worship? See, resource that is purpose for worship of Jesus is never wasted. Time is never wasted when you spend it on Jesus. Energy is never wasted when you spend it on Jesus. Family is never wasted when it's devoted to Jesus. Finance is never wasted when you pour it out on Jesus. If I can get really real, I've, I've had a couple of conversations over our time of expansion. And the number one thing people brought up to me is this, is that oh, I really think that we should be taking all that money and giving it to the community. Now, I understand the sentiment around that. And please don't hear me. We should never neglect the poor and the community. But I wonder, is that maybe potentially a reflection of more of a Judas spirit than we realise? Where we say, hey, I don't want to spend and devote the resource on creating an environment for worship of our God, but we need to give it to the poor. Now, please hear me. We need to be looking after our community. God came to save people. But you need to understand in Scripture, in the Bible, what it says is the priority of the church is number one. Number one, to worship God. Number one, that's it. Number one, worship God. Number two, equip the saints. And then number three, to reach the community. And if we mix up that order, all of a sudden we are distorting the picture of the church that God intended. And number one, we should always have a conviction that we need to worship God first and foremost. And that resource spent on worshiping God is never wasted resource. It's never wasted. It's never wasted. 
See, worship is our wisdom. There is power and perspective in worship. When I say worship, I'm not just talking about the singing that we do, even though that is worship and that's part of it. I'm talking about the life that we live. How are you living your life and what are you viewing as wasteful that Jesus really sees as worship? And as a result, we're not bringing to it and pouring it on His feet. What part of your life are you holding back? Come on, just because it's a good thing doesn't necessarily mean it's a God thing. Number one goal is to worship God, to equip the saints and then reach the community. Now, please hear me on this point. I really want to make it very clear that we do not neglect the poor or the community ever. We just make sure it's in the right order. Can I just make that very clear? I'm not saying we believe that's why we have our community kitchens. That's why we invest money into it. That's why we pour into it because it should always be part of our mandate and our purpose. But I just want to highlight where we potentially moved it to position one and not position three. Where we potentially created our own theology instead of going to the Scriptures to discover the theology of God. Worshipping God is the number one call, purpose and priority of the church. Equipping the saints is number two. And reaching the community is number three. And if we get all three, man, the church explodes. But only if we don't see worship as waste. Lesson number three is this. Judas saw restoration as impossible. Judas saw restoration as impossible. Matthew 27, verse three to five says this. This is after Judas had betrayed Jesus. And he was arrested and beaten and this whole process was unfolding. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hung himself. In other words, Judas thought he had to spill his blood because he didn't realise that the blood of Jesus was enough. In other words, he had a thought of my sin is greater than his sacrifice. And if I can be really honest, this thought, this lesson is one I have to constantly wrestle with in my internal self. Because none of us are perfect and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we all on a regular daily basis, the Bible says, to come before Him and apologise and declare for His grace upon our life for the sins that we've all committed. And yet so often I find my pride leads me to think that my sin is too great for Jesus' sacrifice. And mine looks like this. Mine looks like, Dan, you know better. You shouldn't have lost your temper there. Dan, you shouldn't have snapped. Dan, you shouldn't. And it's that you know better. And as a result, because you know better, you can't really go back and ask for grace and forgiveness. You can't really go back and actually go at the feet of Jesus, because you know better, you shouldn't have done it. That's what the voice is. And all that's saying is my sin is greater than his sacrifice. That's all it's saying. Dan, your sin is greater than your sacrifice. You know better, so that makes your sin worse. That is a load of rubbish. It is. There is nothing in the Scripture that says, it actually says that in that moment, our call and what we should do is to find ourselves back at the feet of Jesus. And there's so often I find I talk to people and they get stuck in this trap of thinking that their sin is the thing that keeps them away from God. It doesn't keep you away. It does cause a separation, but it doesn't keep you away. Your decision about what you do with your sin will keep you away. See, Judas thought that his sin was greater than Jesus' sacrifice, but it's not. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is greater than any sin. And it reconciles, restores and redeems us to the righteousness that we find in Jesus Christ. But only if you seek it out and find it. 
only if you seek it out and find it. Where in your life have you maybe fallen into the trap of allowing pride to disguise itself by really saying my sin is greater than his sacrifice? Maybe you keep making the same decision, you're stuck in a cycle of, of sin in whatever way and you don't actually properly come back to the feet of Jesus to be restored, redeemed and made whole. You need to come back. You need to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Because the lesson we learned from, uh, from Judas is that he thought reconciliation and rest restoration was impossible, but it's very possible in Jesus. How do we know that? Because there's another man in the Bible by the name of Peter. Peter was another one of the disciples who at the same time also denied Jesus. And Jesus told him he was gonna do it. And he was like, no, I'm not gonna do it, God. Like, God, Jesus, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna deny you. And Jesus was like, no, you're gonna do it so bad. You're gonna do it three times in a row. That's a hat trick, you know, like. He's like, no, I'm not. And yet, what do we see? We see him do it. He denies Jesus three times in his greatest moment of need. And yet Peter's response, literally, you can go and read it. Peter's response is not to distance himself, but rather as soon as Jesus is there, he finds himself at his feet again. And he says, forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. Two different responses. See, pride will distance you from Jesus, but humility always brings you close to Him. And I never want to be on the side that distances myself from Jesus. So where in our life are we allowing pride to disguise itself? To disguise itself as what seems like a righteous thought. Where are we allowing guilt to lead us where we should be allowing grace to draw us in? Because yeah, me and you, we're not enough. We mess up, we've all fallen short, but man, Jesus is enough and He restores fully. The Bible says when you come back to Him, He makes you whole in that moment. It's in that moment. It's not then I, I've got to come back and then I've got to earn Jesus' trust back and then I've got to do all these things. No, in that moment, when you pray that prayer, when you find yourself at the feet of Jesus and you say, God, your sacrifice is far greater than my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know I have a Saviour who has conquered the grave and conquered the penalty of sin. And as a result, I live in a righteousness and freedom. When we do that, in that moment, we're made whole. In that moment, we're made clean. In that moment, we're restored fully. It doesn't matter what's gone on. It's not an earning back. In that moment, that's how grace works. And you go, that's too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. It's just not how this world thinks. But luckily, Jesus is in this world. He has His own ways. He has His own ways. The lesson we learn is that Judas saw restoration as impossible. Don't let a single thought keep you from coming back to the presence of Jesus. He wants to redeem, restore, and reconcile you to His righteousness. And it's there waiting for you. All that is needed is your decision and where you find yourself. Where you find yourself. And the last lesson this morning that I want to talk on as the band comes and joins me is this. Judas saw Jesus as teacher, not Lord. And I'll show it and I'll prove it to you in Scripture. Are you ready? Matthew 26. Morgan was ready. I loved it. Everyone else is like, we're not ready, Dad. Matthew 26. I'm going to be reading from verse 20 to 25. Oh, it's up there on the screen already. Oh, and that's a bold spot. Anyways. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. Restoration of head. I just should be in my point previously. Anyway, sorry. Continue. 
I love this. Ready? You ready for this? There's two words that are underlined in the scripture that I want you to note. And this is why I love the Bible. And this is why I think we can learn so much from it ongoingly. Are you ready for this? It says, when evening came, this is the night before the crucifixion, the last supper gathered together, all the disciples and Jesus says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to ask him and one another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Notice that it's underlined, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me and will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him not to have been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Interesting. Every disciple, every other one of the disciples says, Do you mean me, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And Judas's response is, is it me, Rabbi? Now, what we need to understand in those days, Rabbi is another word for a teacher, right? And Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He taught lots, as we know. He taught teachers in the Scripture. We still learn today. But what Judas teaches us is that there's a difference between teacher and Lord. In other words, Judas was willing to learn from him but not surrender his life to him. He was willing to give Jesus something, just not everything. He was willing to give Jesus his Sunday morning, just not the rest of his week. He was willing to give Jesus the first five minutes of his day, just not in the middle of a work conversation. He was willing to give Jesus his tithe, just not his generosity. What we see in this moment is that Judas had a partial follow. He had a partial follow. Not a full follow. In a year of come follow me, we have to ask ourselves the question, do I see Jesus as teacher or as Lord? Do I view him as a moral indicator of what I should do? Or do I view him as Lord of my life and I surrender to him in everything I do do? How do you view Jesus? As teacher? With great illustrations and a powerful following? Or as Lord of your life? Because if we're not careful, you and I can find ourselves in a place where we're interacting with him as teacher, not Lord. And in that moment, we're in danger of operating in a Judas spirit. Many of you would know this saying, if you've been around church, he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. So is he Lord of all in your life? Actually, think about it for a second. Take this moment right now. Don't even look at me, just ponder it right now. Think about the areas in your life. Think about the things in your life. Is he Lord over all of them? Every single one, every single thing. 
And if he's not, there's no condemnation. Please hear me. I just want to highlight where we potentially have landed in a space where we, we, we view Jesus as teacher and not Lord. Where we choose what we want to take and leave the rest. Romans 10 says it this way. It says, it's a great scripture and a lot of you would know this. It's a, it's a salvation scripture that describes what salvation is. And it's interesting. It says, this, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's interesting that it doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior, you will be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, you will be saved. Not if He is teacher, if He is Lord of your life. Lordship is required to have a live, active, real, effective, fruitful relationship with Jesus. How do you view Him right now? As teacher or as Lord? Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.